0: Following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, good morning. Um, there's a couple of things I want to uh, to share before we get uh, before we get too far. Um, first, uh, um. Rick, uh, I found uh, the same thing to be true. And you stop looking, the Lord starts working. Like I, I used to fish for wives. And when I stopped fishing, one jumped into the boat. So <laughs> I, I just want to confirm that uh, doctrine to be tested. And uh <laughs> um, the second thing, I have been... Um, I have been invited out on the mission field as well. Uh, I have been given an opportunity to serve um, Kingswood Regional Middle School uh, this coming quarter, teaching middle school shop class uh, on a on a temporary basis. So, I'm very excited about that. I start tomorrow. <laughs> um, so I I uh, I've jokingly said. Um, if you lose a digit in math class, it's no big deal. If you lose it in shop class, it's life-changing. So I would invite your prayers uh, f- for me in this in, in this effort. Mostly, uh, selfishly, our, our prayer as a family is for uh, for my energy level to be able to maintain and not let things slip. Um, and like I said to Carol Ann, if it's a mistake, at least it's only temporary. Uh, so we'll see. Um, Okay, so we're going to go back to 1 Peter this morning. Um, I I had every intention to take a great big bite and do all verses 3 through 9, but I I couldn't. (laughs) So we're actually, I'm going to read verses 3 through 9, but we're going to only focus on verses 3 through 5. That's page 1014 in the Pew Bibles. And when we first start, started our, um, our study in 1 Peter, we talked a little bit about the author's intent, uh, what Peter's intent was in writing this letter um, to the elect exiles of the dispersion, uh, those Jewish Christians living in an area which is now uh, modern-day Turkey. Um, and we discovered, as is written in uh, chapter 5, verse 12, Uh, that Peter's intent was to exhort and declare the grace of God and to instruct the church to stand firm in it. And here in verses 3 through 9, we can see that purpose at work, or I guess we'll see that purpose at work over the next few weeks. Um, Peter's purpose was to encourage the church. Uh, The church had experienced and was experiencing certain trials and difficulties there in that region, and even greater difficulties were on the horizon. Uh, the emperor of Rome at that time was Nero, and perhaps you heard of him. Um, and soon persecuting the church would be a policy of the state. Uh, Nero, burnt, uh, Nero was responsible for the burning of Rome, and he blamed the church. And so a huge persecution broke out. Um, but that was, that was kind of on the horizon. That hadn't started yet. And though we face uh, trials and difficulties at time, uh, being burned at the stake to light the emperor's banquets isn't really uh, something we have to worry about today. <laughs> um, but that doesn't free us from the burden of discouragement um, for various reasons. And if Peter's original intent was to encourage the church, that purpose still remains. Uh, and this letter is for the church, uh, us, so we, too, can be encouraged as well. So let's pray, and, uh, and we'll jump in. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your family, as your people around your word, preserved by your Holy Spirit, written for your glory and our good. And we pray, Father, now that your spirit would speak, that the word would be alive to us. And we would be changed as a result of being in it together, whether here in this room or watching online or whatever. God, we're just grateful uh, that you have preserved your word for us, that we could know you better and live lives more like yours. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, happy birthday, Leela. Leela turned one yesterday, right? Yeah. Well, um, I am a a born and bred New Englander, right? I was born and raised in Maine, despite what my accent at times might indicate. Uh, I am a Mainer, and as a true New Englander, I am intimately aware of the concept of hope, especially when it comes to the weather, It works like this. Today is a perfect example in March. I hope that it warms up and the snow will melt and we can have baseball, right? And then summer comes and I hope it it doesn't get too hot or I hope it doesn't stay this hot. I hope this humidity breaks soon. I hope we have snow for Christmas. I hope this snow melts so we can have baseball it's a never-ending cycle. It's a vicious cycle of dying hope, <laughs> a constant source of discouragement. And that's what we often say that uh, we live in New England because if we lived where it's nice all the time, what would we complain about? I'm sure we'd find something. But our text for this morning is not like that. It is not dying hope. It speaks of living hope for our encouragement So let's look at it together. We're going to read all verses 3 through 9 and then narrow our focus a little bit. So Peter writes to the church, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you You love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. May God's blessing be on his word. So hearing that, if Peter's intent was to encourage the church, I can't think of a more fitting text than this to accomplish that work. This is among the most encouraging passages of scripture that I that I can think of. And if you're in the if you're in the business of designing inspirational coffee mugs and calendars, here is here is a here's a good one. This is, should be a go-to text, and that should have been funny. But we're going to move on and examine how what what Peter goes through. He begins. He begins with worship in this great phrase, these great phrases. This should be an encouragement for us to do the same. When he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is one to be praised. He is worthy of praise. That's what's meant by the word blessed here. Not just, I hope things go well for you. I hope the, you know, the, the rain falls on your fields and not on your head, and you know, the wind's always at your back, or the sun shining on your face, whatever the traditional iris blessing is. That's not what he means. He means that God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, is the one to be praised, and he is worthy of it. What's interesting about this phrase is that he is both the God of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes those that shows up together. What exactly does he mean by that? I think that there there is a a, a huge amount of um, doctrine and theology in this first chapter. We see the the Trinity is there on display in the first two chapter, uh, first two verses. I mean, and now here we have. Uh, the 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 dual natures of Christ that he is both fully man and fully god he's not two different people he's not two different personalities but he is both fully god and fully man so as fully man god is his god and as the eternal the eternally existent son of god god is his father so here again that beautiful dichotomy i think that's the word and pressure friends whatever i don't know the the two two in one um jesus both fully god and fully man and here it is on display he's god to jesus in his humanity and he is father to jesus in his divinity and that is the god who is worthy to be praised and the and then the next phrase according to his great mercy He has caused us to be born again according to his great mercy. I've I've said this before. I I know that grace uh, is when we receive what we didn't earn and mercy is the opposite where we are spared what we have earned. This is mercy is is the expression of the father's compassion his great kindness to us in our need God the father of the Lord Jesus Christ has caused us to be born again according to his great mercy not that we deserved it not that we earned any goodwill from him this statement here is a reminder of our sinfulness And in our sinfulness, we did not deserve to be born again. We did not deserve to be saved. But God, again, showed his great kindness to us in the face of our great need. And so he caused us to be born again. We can't forget that. We think, well, in order to be saved, you have to go down front, pray the prayer, sign the card, raise your hand, right? A lot of us went to youth rallies and stuff as kids, and and they have an evangelist, and and now with every head bowed and every eye closed, right? And if if you prayed this prayer, I want you to just look up and make eye contact with me. And then we think, okay, it's, it's our work. By opening my eyes and looking down at that preacher, then I was saved. Well, we participate for sure. I'm not discounting all of that stuff. But salvation is God's work. It's not our work. That's like saying uh, uh, it's our work to open our hands, and it's God's work to fill them. And that's really the truth of it, That's because that's all we do. We admit we're helpless, and we need to be saved. So it's a little bit more like this, like this. You know, God picked me up. I need a hug. <laughs> that's, that's really what it, what it is. And he, the theologians say, he condescended. To us, He came down to us and met us in our great need and caused us to be born again. And even that phrase, born again, is a great encouragement to us, or it should be. It's a reminder that we have been changed from one thing into a totally different thing. A completely different kind of thing. Now, Peter is remembering Jesus' words to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, where Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And, of course, Nicodemus, it doesn't make any sense to him. He says, well, how can I be born again? I'm old, and how can I re-enter my mother's womb? And Jesus said, no, 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 it's to be born of the spirit and of water. And that's how you are born again. It's a spiritual thing and not a physical thing. And what we, what we were before we were changed in this, into this totally new thing, this new creation, uh, is what Paul called in Ephesians 2, 3, children of wrath. Sounds like the name of a band, but not a good one. A Norwegian death metal. death metal. Yeah, exactly. Norwegian death metal band. Right. The first album, Bound for Hell. That's that's what it is. That's what it is right there. Children of Wrath. And where children of wrath are bound for destruction. Right? That's what we once were. But, the most important word in the English translation of Scripture is the word but. Sorry. There's only one T, (laughs) pal. Only one (laughs) T. We were once children of wrath, but God, according to his great mercy, caused us to be born again. And now we are what 2 Corinthians 5.17 calls a new creation. I'm going to remember that (laughs) forever. (laughs) We are now no longer... Children of wrath. We are now a new creation. We are children of God. So when people say we're all God's children. No, we're not. We're not. You're only God's child by adoption. And we're only adopted by God through faith in Jesus Christ. We are not all God's children. Those of us in the church who have faith in Jesus Christ are God's children. Adopted children. But not every creature. That's the Rubicon of faith. You must cross over. You must be changed. You must be born again. There is no being nice enough. There's no, you know, I've never killed anybody, and I don't speed, and I don't cheat on my taxes, and so how could God possibly send me to hell? He doesn't. He rescues us from hell by faith in Jesus Christ. We're going there, sending ourselves there, And God intervenes and rescues us and causes us to be born again. And now we are no longer children of wrath, but we are a new creation, children of God. But he didn't just cause us to be born again and then just kind of left us on our own to figure it out, right? Or to cling to the empty and dying hopes of the world. Left hoping that the weather's better tomorrow. He didn't leave us in that way, and I'm going to tell a story now. And my dad's going to watch this later, and he's going to be really mad. Yesterday, I put in a new bathroom sink in one of our in our downstairs bathroom. So we're reducing the yellow on yellow in our bathroom. So it's just it's such a blessing. Yep. So I don't know anything about plumbing, like I have. Plumbing and I aren't even acquainted. We're not friends. We don't. We didn't know each other in school. It just—it's not my thing. Uh, I, it never has been. So, uh, it, also, paying plumbers is not my thing either. <laughs> so, uh, I, I was talking to my dad on the phone and said, you know, I—I—I I, got to figure this out. We got to put this new sink in, and that includes plumbing, and that doesn't include me, generally speaking. He said, "Oh, I—I I love plumbing. I love." you know, soldering and sweating joints and all of that kind of stuff. And I said, great, why don't you come over and help? He said, no. <laughs> Everybody has to figure it out. And those were my instructions. And so that's that's what we had to do. And and it took a really, really long time. But we got it figured out. And, uh, and the sink works. So praise God, my repertoire has expanded a little bit. But that is not what God does. Not that my dad's a bad example of a dad. He's just doing his thing. God doesn't leave us that way. He, we cry out to him for help and he answers us. We're not left to figure things out on our own. We're not left hoping that things will get better. It says, according to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again. To a living hope. These are among my favorite words in the scripture. He caused us to be born again. To a living hope. And a living hope. Is a hope that is the opposite. Of the hopes of this dying world. That simply seeks to make this life better. But still ends in death. Living hope has life in itself. It gives life. And it has life as its object. And that life is eternal life that is only available to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If we're stuck just hoping the weather's nice, I, I hope my, I don't lose my job, I hope I can pay my bills, I hope things get better for me. Maybe all of those things happen, wonderful. But the day is going to come when the clouds roll back and the trumpet sounds and Christ returns to gather his church to himself, to judge the living and the dead. And so your car and your house and your job and all that stuff is gone. It's not going to last. The living hope that God the Father has caused us to be born again into is not just hope for this life. A life of faith in Jesus is not just so we can have some crutch to lean on when things get hard. When things in this dying world get tough, it's not a worldly hope that things are eventually going to get better. Things are eventually going to get better, but not here. In God's eternal kingdom. Our hope isn't, isn't temporary. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 5 uh, 15, 19, if in Christ we have li- uh, hope in this life only, we are among all people to be most pitied. But well, why is that? Because Jesus Christ didn't, didn't live and die and rise to life again simply to make this life easier. If being a Christian makes your life in this world easier, you may be doing it wrong. He didn't do all of those things to make us better people. I met Christ and now I'm nice. My, my neighbors like me now. Okay, as long as that gives you opportunity to tell them why, that's the point. Jesus died and rose again to give us a living hope beyond this world, beyond this life. That's where our hope is. Because what difference does it make if the weather stays nice? Everybody likes a sunny day, right? We've been in a drought for two years because we like sunny days so much. Not because, but you like sunny days, great. I hope you like an empty well. That's, I mean, that's the, that's, forget it. Back on track. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Again, I can't think of more encouraging words when you're faced with trouble in this life, in this world. And I don't know what kind of inheritance you've, you have waiting for you uh, here on earth, whether it's houses or lands or money or sweet Kubota tract that I probably lost because I told a story about my dad. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what hope you have of what you'll leave behind to your children or grandchildren. But the inheritance that's kept for us in heaven for those of us who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is not subject to the same forces as those things. J.P. Lang wrote While here below in the strange country of our pilgrimage, all possessions are insecure, the inheritance above is in the surest custody, for it is in the almighty hand of God, as it has been designed and prepared for believers from everlasting. So it is perpetually kept. And believers, on the other hand, are kept for it so that they can in no way lose it. Are these words not encouraging? God is keeping our inheritance in his hand, and it's not made of this stuff, this crude matter, to quote Yoda. That's what Peter means when he says an inheritance kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Our inheritance is is kept in heaven by God. In His hands, it's not subject to decay. It's not subject to death. It is untainted by sin. And sin's effects. And it will forever retain its wonderful character. And the same God that keeps it. Keeps us. Amen. We are guarded by God's power. We are shielded. Is what the word means? Shielded in the garrison. We are protected by an army. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we can't separate those two things. Our inheritance is kept by God, and we are kept by God for it and for him, shielded by his power. Faith is the means in which salvation is procured and constantly kept up, acknowledging Jesus as Messiah and confidently surrendering to him. The hopes of this world and this life are a source of constant disappointment. And when you think, I have this problem, and then the problem gets solved, yeah, and then it brings other problems with it, right? I, I, you know, I won the lottery, and now I don't have to worry about money anymore. But I also don't have privacy anymore, and everybody knows who I am, and they care about what I'm doing. They never did that before. And now I've got this new problem. So I moved to a deserted island. And yeah, now I'm all alone. and Now I'm all alone. And all I have to eat is coconuts. I mean, you just trade problems for problems. But that's not the way our inheritance works. That's not the kind of thing we have waiting for us. Faith is, is the means in which salvation is procured and constantly kept up. Acknowledging Jesus and Messiah as Messiah, and confidently surrendering to Him, and so we can look forward to a better inheritance, where all of those problems go away. That's those aren't issues anymore, and they're not traded in for different problems. It's been said that God has it's uh, sorry it's God's power that saves us from our enemies, and it's God's patience. that that saves us from ourselves. So we're guarded by God's power through faith. We're shielded by God. But what does it mean to be guarded for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time? Aren't we, aren't we already saved? Don't we already have salvation through faith in Jesus Christ? Is there a second one? The Salvation Part 2, the sequel? Well... The answer is, yes, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is no second salvation. There is only the completion of our salvation. And what Peter means by the last time, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, the last time is the return of Christ. Right? And our salvation is completed. Our our. Uh, Our time, our age, will end. The end of the church will become the never-ending age of God's kingdom, God's eternal kingdom. Sin and death and the grave will be destroyed, as will Satan and his demons. And we will take possession of our inheritance in God's eternal kingdom. Our salvation is complete at the return of Christ. Martin Luther wrote the inheritance to which you are ordained set apart for has been acquired long since and prepared from the beginning of the world. But lies as yet concealed, covered and sealed. But in a short time, it will be opened in a moment and disclosed so that we may see it. Our salvation, our inheritance is all part of that. It all works together. It's like we have tickets to ride on the train, but we haven't ridden on the train yet. Our spot is reserved, but eventually we've got to take the trip. That's a rough, crude way of comparing those two things. That's the best I can do. Our salvation is complete, and yet it is still waiting to be uh, revealed. And I had every intention of finishing this paragraph. Um, But I'm going to leave it at verse 5. I want you to hear me very carefully when I say this. There is no such thing as being so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. There is absolutely no such thing. I know I've said that before. And I'm, I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis quote that says it's precisely because we think so little of the next world that we are so ineffective in this one. So when we think about sharing the gospel with our friends and neighbors and coworkers, we think about the risk. What if they, what if they reject what I say? What if they make fun of me? What if they don't talk to me anymore? What if we are, we're not friends? What if? If our hope is in this life only, in the relationships that we make, in the friends that we have, in the support we feel from other people, if that's our hope, we are among men to be most pitied. because we will constantly be disappointed. We'll either be disappointed because we do the right thing and we share the love of Christ with our friends and family and coworkers and neighbors. We do the right thing and they disappoint us by rejecting us. Or we find comfort in those relationships. We find comfort in the fact that we don't ruffle anybody's feathers. We don't want to upset anybody. And this is the age of being offended by everything. We don't want that. If you take comfort in that, at the return of Christ is when you'll have your disappointment. I'm not saying your salvation is lost. I'm just saying your opportunities are lost. And you could be joined there in that day by your friends and your families and your neighbors. The thoughts of what await us at the return of Christ should encourage our hearts and lift our spirits, now that I've just yelled at you, should remind us of our heavenly home and that nothing that we risk here in this life is really a risk. And if we lose it, it's not really a loss because this world is not our home. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom, and we are children of a heavenly king. Now, I hope that you are built up by that, encouraged by that. Next time, we're going to look at how these thoughts should hold us up more when we face difficulties in this life, because we're all pros at that. But for now, let's be encouraged by these words. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, it remains my prayer that we would be encouraged by these words, that we would continue to rehearse them in our minds, continue to read them throughout the week, write them on notes and stick them on the bathroom mirror, whatever, Lord, to continue to remind us of what you have promised, that there is an inheritance waiting for us to be revealed, in the last time, the salvation of our soul to life eternal in your kingdom. Father, I pray that this encouragement would also give us boldness to see that we're risking nothing by sharing the love of Christ with our friends and family and neighbors and co workers. We risk nothing. Father, we love you and we're so blessed by you, by your word, by your love. We pray that we would not be ineffective in this world because we are thinking about the next one, focused on that. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church. Post Office Box 576, West Ossipi, New Hampshire, 03890.